Wow, what a week uh, we have had. As we arrive today, I cannot ignore the fact that this has been perhaps one of the craziest weeks in my lifetime. I actually debated whether or not to just pretend that nothing has happened this week and just go on with it and just, uh, I just decided I needed to not do that. So on the one hand, we see more and more cases of COVID-19 popping up around the country. Of course, I'm hopeful that we can all avoid another shutdown, but who knows? It's also become so common that we don't even think about it, but there's been rioting all week in some of the major cities around America. And then there was this election that took place this past week. No matter how you look at it, it is disheartening to see so many people with extreme views. Roughly half of Americans wanted Trump as president, with roughly half wanting Biden as president as well. And I confess that as I stand before you today, there is some disappointment that Biden appears to be in line to become the next president. I know I'm not supposed to say that, am I? Because I'm the pastor and I'm not supposed to give my opinion. But the truth is we all have opinions. I have significant issues with some of the platforms and their positions of the Democratic Party, especially in relation to abortion and other issues that are contrary to the scriptures. And I confess that it bothers me that some pastors and churches so eagerly embrace the Black Lives Matter movement, which openly supports homosexuality, transgender union, and the dissolution of the nuclear family, yet they could not vote for Trump because they said he was unchristian. But here's what I encourage you with today. First, know that God is still in control regardless of who the President of the United States is. Although it may not always make sense to us, God knows better than we do. Maybe it surprises you that God would allow someone who is perhaps less than godly in a position of power. I would suggest to you that that has been the issue for a long time. This is not new with Trump. It's not new with Biden. It's not new with Obama before that. Shouldn't surprise us. It's happened over and over again throughout history. For example, in John chapter 19, just before the crucifixion of Christ, Jesus is being interrogated by an ungodly Pilate. We're told that Pilate said, don't you realize I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus' response, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. That means that God had put an ungodly ruler in place during that time, perhaps simply for the sake of making sure that the crucifixion actually took place. Since then, we've seen rulers who have blessed people of God. And we've seen rulers who have oppressed people of God. We've seen leaders with gentle, humble hearts, and we've seen those who brutally murdered others. We've seen those who spoke with such grace 
and eloquence, and we have seen those whose personalities revealed nothing but arrogance. But in all of these, God is still in control. And who knows what God might accomplish through our next president. One thing I do know is that regardless of who the next president is, we have the biblical obligation to pray for him. And I don't mean pray for his demise. I mean to pray for him. Listen to the way Paul says it in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Did you hear what he said? This is good and it pleases God, our Savior. So whether you voted for Trump or Biden is irrelevant in this. If you are a child of God, you ought to be praying for our president. I have one more thing that I want to add to this. It comes from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, which says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors. And I'll stop right there. It goes on and talks about the role of the governor's But the point is this, the emperor himself was not necessarily a man of God. But as long as we are not being forced to do something that is unbiblical, we must be willing to submit to the authority that has been placed over us. The fortunate thing for us is that in the system in which we use, this is a four-year commitment. At the end of those four years, Changes hopefully will take place in leadership. But until then, deal with it. Submit to human authority. All right, so have I successfully rubbed everybody the wrong way at at least a little bit this morning? (laughs) I truly hope not, but I'm more concerned with making sure that we represent Christ well in everything that we do, including the way we handle ourselves with politics. All right, now I got to break the news to you here. That's not my sermon. I haven't even started. Sorry. (laughs) All right, earlier I had Jonathan read a scripture for us. Our key scripture today is found in Ephesians 6, verse 10 to 20. You can go ahead, and if you want, you can keep your Bible open to Ephesians 6. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you that we'll use other verses as well. Our key verse today comes from verse 13, even though we're going to use verses 14 and 15 as well, and 16. But our key verse today is verse 13, which says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. I want you to notice today that 
this is a present tense command that is being given. What I mean by this is this instruction is not intended for somewhere else down the road. Instead, it is intended for now. I was reading this week in James chapter 4. James is addressing the fact that we really don't know what is going to happen next. And man, can we understand that? We have big plans. We have dreams. But God's ways are always higher than our ways. And James says, why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Obviously, his point is that we should not presume anything upon God. He is smarter than we are. He sees the big picture, and we certainly don't. So instead, we ought to seek out his will rather than our own will. There's another application for this verse. You see, just as we really don't know what blessings lie around the next corner, we also don't know what attacks might be coming our way. That's the reason that Paul instructs us to put on the full armor of God now. His instruction is not that we wait for the battle to come to us and then put on the full armor. That would be foolish. On the Andy Griffith Show, you guys remember the Andy Griffith Show? That would be like Barney Fife, who only kept one bullet for his gun. And that bullet stayed in his shirt pocket. If there was ever an emergency, he figured he could pull out the bullet, load the gun, and save the day. Or in real life, that's like the police officer who is given a bulletproof vest, but he tucks it into the trunk of his car figuring that he'll pull it out later if he needs it. Well, in both Barney's case and the real police officer, you rarely have time to put those things in place when you actually need them. So wisdom says that you should put it on now. Now take it one step further by saying that once you put it on, you keep it on. I know you got to go home at some point, but you keep on the armor. What pieces of armor ought to be worn? It is likely that as Paul writes this passage, he is chained between two soldiers in a prison cell. As such, he likely could study and identify each piece of the armor that each soldier wore. But even more so, he likely even was able to interview his captors. What's the most important thing that a soldier puts on each day? What's the purpose of this? What's the purpose of that? Well, these are the pieces that Paul felt led to mention. And every one of them is important if we are going to be victorious in this battle. First of all, look in verse 14. As we look at the armor, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. You know, truth is a funny thing. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He also said while speaking to the Father in John 17, 17, that your word is truth. And in John 8, he says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
But what do we mean by truth? We have absolute truth. We have relative truth, suggesting that what might be true for one person may not be true for another individual. We're also told that we should always tell the truth, never bearing false witness. Yet we're also told that sometimes the truth hurts. And I guess that that is correct. Let me tell you the real value of truth. By the way, we're talking about absolute truth. Truth that doesn't change because your situation changes. Truth that doesn't change just because you're with a different group of people. There are certain things that no matter who says it, no matter where it comes from, it will always be true. God has established certain truths. Earlier I referenced a passage from 1 Peter chapter 2 in identifying the need for us to obey human authority. Well, the verse right before that is important for this discussion about truth. It says in 1 Peter chapter 2, Live such good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Let me suggest that the beginning of this is integrity. If you cannot speak the truth, if you cannot live according to the absolute truth of God's word, then you will not represent Christ well to the rest of the world. We must be people of the truth. They are watching and our integrity matters. And don't think that Paul is random in connecting truth to the soldier's belt. You see, I've told you over the past two weeks that prayer is the universal thing that cannot be left out as we deal with the armor of God. It is in many ways a bubble around us. It is God's protective circle. It is our access to him. We cannot put on these pieces of the uniform and leave prayer out. If we do, we're setting ourselves up for failure. But it is the belt that holds everything else in place. So catch what I'm saying here. If you do everything else, but you fail in your integrity, keeping the truth, living the truth, speaking the truth, then you will be defeated. You cannot afford to compromise in your integrity. This is not an optional piece of armor. So we must stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around our waist, but also with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Now, I recognize that our righteousness is like filthy rags, which means that we can attempt to be righteous and good, but it is nothing compared to God's righteousness. We will never be good enough, but that doesn't mean that we should give up on righteousness. In fact, in the Old Testament, we see repeated instructions to put on righteousness, At times, the people are instructed to put away all forms of impurity and to put away their false gods. Even among the ungodly, there is a sense of needing to put on righteousness. For example, in Jonah chapter 3, verse 3, after the king of Nineveh heard of the coming judgment of God, he pleaded with God, putting on sackcloth and then instructing the people, Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. 
The hope was that if they became righteous in their deeds, that perhaps God's grace would be extended to them. And guess what? It was. Apparently, we can choose to walk in righteousness. We can choose not to be identified by the sin of our past to no longer do the same things that we once did. We can be changed. I had one more thought with this as well. I know of those who would call themselves Christians, yet they believe that their righteousness is irrelevant. They'll remind you that you cannot be good enough. They'll remind you that it's all about his grace. And I have no issue with either of those two statements, except that God did not save you so that you could continue in your sin. In fact, the Apostle Paul, on multiple occasions, asked the question, shall I continue in sin so that grace might abound even more? And each time he asked the question, he answers it himself. Once with absolutely not. The second time, by no means. In other words, no way. The intent was never for God's people to continue in their unrighteousness that existed prior to them finding Christ. It ought to be the thing that other people see in you first. It is your righteousness. But here's the thing. I'm, as much as I try, I feel like I'm incompetent to be righteous enough. But here's, I really want you to catch this. When the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you, shouldn't righteousness be the thing that flows out of you? So when we talk about the fact that I'm not good enough, that I can't do everything that is good enough, it doesn't mean that that is a hopeless cause. That means that by myself, I cannot be righteous enough. But when the Holy Spirit dwells in me, his righteousness ought to be evident in the words that come from my mouth, the actions that I take, the attitudes that I display. Righteousness ought to be what the rest of the world sees in me, not because I'm better than anyone else, but because the Holy Spirit dwells in me. And the same should be true for each of us. Well, the next piece of armor is all about the shoes. It says that the soldier's feet are to be fitted with the readiness which comes from the gospel of peace. I told you earlier that Paul likely wrote this passage while chained between two soldiers. So he would have had a close-up look at their uniform. The shoes of a Roman soldier were very, very important. They were unique from what other soldiers probably wore. They were definitely unique from what normal citizens wore. They typically had small spikes on the bottom of their shoes. This gave them a significant tactical advantage over enemy soldiers as they could run more quickly and they could even turn on a dime. And when the elements became difficult and perhaps other soldiers felt the need to hunker down, Roman soldiers could continue to press on even through difficult conditions. Likewise, we must be 
eager to proclaim the good news of Christ, even in the midst of difficulty. In 2014, as an Ebola plague was ripping through Africa, it became an open door for missionaries to share the love of Jesus Christ as they offered hope and healing. Other doctors were declaring that they could not have contact with these patients because there was a risk that they themselves would become infected. And it was Christian missionaries who went to Africa and said, we will go and we will meet the need. And God used those missionaries to bring healing, not just physical healing, but even spiritual healing. In today's world, Nobody would have asked for COVID-19, this virus, to come upon us. Yet perhaps God has provided a door through which this virus, so that we can more easily share the gospel with other people. In the midst of fear and uncertainty, we have a hope that the rest of the world desperately needs. So share it. You say, well, I'm not a doctor. I can't really do some of that stuff. You are a child of God. You be the one to bring hope to people who need it today. Do you think there's brokenness? Do you think there's ugliness? All the things we talked about at the very beginning today, do you think that those things are not something God can use? Absolutely they are. I don't know what God is trying to do, but I see opportunities sitting in front of us. We need to be people who have our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Add to that the shield of faith which, with which we can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And I know that my time, for the sake of time here, I'm going to limit how deep I go with this, but I really want to camp out on this one just for a moment. Paul suggests that the shield of faith serves to block the flaming arrows of the evil one, Satan. This isn't suggesting that such attacks won't come. They will. But it is our faith that gives us hope when they do come. So how much faith do you need to be able to fight against the evil one? Jesus said that if we had the faith of a mustard seed, that's a really small, probably about that big, tiny. If you had the faith of a mustard seed, we could say to the mountain to be moved and it would be moved. Seems like a pretty small amount of faith that's required to do something so great, but that's because a little bit of faith is incredibly powerful. It can make a tremendous difference. I'm reminded of an encounter with Jesus he had with a father who needed Jesus's miraculous power to heal, to deliver his son. In Mark chapter 9, the man says to Jesus, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus responds almost incredulously, if you can, everything is possible for one who believes. I love the honest response of this father. He is a man of faith, but he realizes that his faith is not perfect. So he says to Jesus, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I imagine that following this event, 
the faith of this father was stronger than ever. It's because God showed up and he did something miraculous and powerful. From that moment forward, that father could stand up and declare that if you don't have enough faith, you can trust that I do because I'm going to tell you what God has already done for me. I wonder today, I'm not looking for an answer from anyone, but I wonder how many of you have seen the power of God revealed. Where God showed up and he did miracles in your life and you know that it was God and there's no other way to explain it. The doctor said that there was no way healing could take place, yet it did. You knew that there was no way that money would be there to provide for your family, yet somehow there was. Every single time there's been a need, God has been faithful. Allow those experiences of God showing up and doing miracles and showing off in many ways. Allow those things to build the faith that you have today. And who knows? Maybe when others see someone who so firmly believes that God is able to do the impossible, maybe they too might begin to believe the same thing. Your faith has the ability to change the world. Notice this, though. I'm not calling you to have faith in yourself. I'm not calling you to believe in what you can do. I'm calling you to believe wholeheartedly in the God that we've already been talking about here. He is the one who is still over everything. And even when there are flaming arrows that are heading our way, he's still got this. And it's going to be okay. So place your trust in him. Well, the final item that we'll look at today is the helmet of salvation. Without digging too deeply again for the sake of time, let me say that the role of the helmet is obviously to protect the head. I'm reminded of an old movie called Monty Python and the Holy Grail. It's not necessarily a godly movie. In one scene, there is a battle that takes place where a soldier loses an arm. His response is that it's merely a flesh wound. As the battle progresses, the soldier loses multiple other limbs, but is determined to fight. Obviously, this is a fictitious battle. But the point is, the point that I want to make today is that if you lose your head, the battle is over. You might be able to continue if you lost a finger. You might be able to continue, not for long, but you might be able to continue if you lost your arm. But the moment you lose the head, the battle is over. The role of the helmet is to guard your mind. As those who have received salvation, it is vitally important that we guard what goes into our minds. Garbage in, garbage out. You've heard that phrase for years. It's an old computer phrase where it's talking about the fact that if you put junk in there, well, this is what you're going to get out. Junk is what's going to come out. And it's the same idea. Some of us spend so much time watching things that are certainly not helpful to the body of Christ. We spend so much time reading things that are not helpful to the body of Christ. We spend so much time with people who are not helpful to the body of Christ. And garbage in, garbage out. The key to this is something we find in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah chapter 29. 
The Lord promises that you will find him when you seek him with all your heart. I wonder if one of the reasons we so rarely find the Lord today is because we rarely seek him with all of our hearts. Instead, he is one of the many things that we seek, allowing other things that don't belong in our lives. I call on you today to guard what goes into your mind. Make sure that what you watch, what you listen to, the people you're around, make sure that they draw you closer to him rather than further away. I don't know all of the things that you will face tomorrow. What I will tell you is this week, things didn't happen the way I planned. 2020, things have not happened the way I planned. Yet my God is still in control. I want to be ready for whatever comes this week. I don't want to be scrambling, trying to get my armor on at the last minute, trying to figure out a way for me to get ready for what's coming at me right now. I want to get ready now. And I challenge you to do the same. I do believe, I told you already that prayer is the key to all of this, but I think that this helmet of salvation Guarding your minds, making sure that your eyes are fixed on him, that you are genuinely seeking him with all of your heart. I do believe that if we will genuinely do that, we will be ready for whatever comes. Because guess what? The belt of truth will come naturally. We will become people of integrity because our hearts are fixed on an almighty God who has chosen to make his dwelling in us. The Holy Spirit being alive in us, the breastplate of righteousness ought to be something that is natural. It's not something we have to fake. It's not something we put on because people are watching. It's just a part of what flows out of us. When we get our eyes fixed on Jesus, everything else falls into place. So maybe today we've gotten our eyes fixed on a lot of things. Maybe you showed up here today a little bit discouraged because some of the things that are happening. Don't be. Fix your eyes on him. He's got enough to take care of whatever comes at you. But don't do it half-heartedly. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, as we come before you today, we are so grateful for your faithfulness. Father, thank you that no matter what we have had to go through, you've been there to provide. And who knows the number of times that you have protected us, that you have delivered us just because we were people of prayer, seeking your grace and your mercy. Father, I pray that you would continue to do that. But I also pray that you would help us to do our part, to seek you with everything. And that as we do, Lord, I pray that you would change everything about us. Make us people of integrity. Make us people who display your righteousness. Make us people who are eager to go and to do the work you've called us to. May we never retreat. But may instead, may we be ready to stand firm. Even though the battle rages around us, 
give us strength. Give us victory. Lord, I pray today for each one here. Help us not to do this half-heartedly, but with everything that we have and everything that we are. May we praise you. May we draw near to you. May we become more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I do thank you for being a part of our service today. It is such a blessing to be able to worship with you. Sometimes I forget to say this at the end of our service, so please forgive me for this, but we normally, in the past, we have taken offerings here in the service. In order to keep people from having to touch the same common surfaces that everybody else touches, we have changed that over the last several months. Uh, as you leave today, there will be individuals who will be at the foyer. I think there will be individuals at each of the corner doors here as well. If you would like to give this morning to uh, give your tithes and your offerings, there will be individuals there to receive your offerings. It is such a blessing to have you with us today. Thank you for being here. Go in peace.